0: This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week?
1: Two cards this week. Dan Pasqua. Cards number 82T and 691. Dan Pasqua, outfielder, first for the Yankees, then for the Chicago White Sox.
0: Okay. Dan Pasquin, two cards. Fantastic. Before we get to Dan, we do have some follow-up from previous episodes. And this one is right in the sweet spot of our show, David, in that it comes at the intersection of pop culture and technology. Previous guest and friend of the show, Mark Simon, uh, was with us on an episode about Neil Allen, and recently he had a couple tweets where he recently asked ChatGPT. The artificial intelligence to write a poem about neil allen and that poem was it was okay it wasn't anything great but then in response to that grant brisby who's at grant brisby on twitter and a writer at the athletic replied with a poem that he wrote about neil allen in 2014 and i just want to read this for the record because this goes to show that the robots will not replace us They will not replace Neil Allen. They will not replace Grant Brisby anytime soon. Stuffed in a box in the attic upstairs, scores of Neil Allen cards get older. So he grows younger, and I doubt he cares. He's doing neat things with his young shoulder. Mets, white socks and cards, with the Yankees twice. In Cleveland, three innings a disaster. Career was pleasant, perhaps even nice, Though he gave up a 1.269 OPS to Johnny LaMaster. Like Jerry, he helped Keith Hernandez move. Mets fans were amused with how both turned out. His arm had such promise, so much to prove, but it was his trade that ended the drought. He threw 988 innings, not all of them good. Still, take time to remember Neil Allen if you would. Just beauty, beauty. So, thank you, Grant
1: Brisby. That poem is basically the story of the show. Uh, Remember Neil Allen. Consider for a moment Neil Allen. Uh, Today (laughs) we're going to consider for a moment Dan Pasqua. I was having kind of a rough week and and having a rough day. And one evening I closed my computer and I just said to myself, and Matt ready the the swear clacks on. We're talking about Dan Pasqua this week. So that's why we're talking about Dan Pasqua. He doesn't have a Sabre bio, so we are flying without guidance here. We've got the Luke Skywalker helmet down. The blast shield is down. There is a lot to say about Dan Pasqua. There's a strange true crime story involving Dan. And one of my all-time favorite moments ever at a baseball game involved Dan Pasqua, a moment that lives in my family's history. Oh, Amazing.
0: Well, like Wedge Antilles, we will stay on target, David. Stay on target. And like Porkins, we will try not to explode. Go to the front of card 691. We have Dan Pasqua of the Yankees. This card's a bit of an awkward shot. We've got Dan, who's obviously just put the ball into play and is admiring his ground ball to the right-hand side of the infield. It's a little bit awkward. It does show you that he's got very muscular forearms in this shot. He's gripping the bat real hard. He looks good. You've got the traditional boring Yankees away uniform. Just all gray, although you do get a black undershirt. Black stirrups look pretty good. I like the black shoes too.
1: This is very similar to the Ricky Henderson and Don Mattingly cards in the set. I think it's the same photographer from the same angle in the same spring training game. And if you look in the background, they are playing the Expos. So this was definitely a spring training game. You can see an an Expos logo on that one player in the dugout. You also see some luggage hanging in that dugout. (laughs) But I think that they maybe should have switched it up and gone to the other side for left-handed hitters. Like you said, this is kind of an awkward shot. The Don Mattingly photo is a little bit more zoomed in and a little bit it looks better but this dan pasqua card i don't know his, his helmet looks kind of ill fitting just an odd looking card but dan looks like a muscular power hitter and that is exactly what he was
0: yeah i think he they must have done it from this angle because the you notice that the sun is the sun's on his face there so the sun you want the sun behind you when you're taking photos like this and not in in your face so let's go to the back of 691 and we have dan pasqua outfielder Height six feet, weight 203, left-handed batter and thrower drafted by the Yankees in the third round of 1982. Born October 17th, 1961 in Yonkers, New York with a home in
1: Harrington Park, New Jersey. Yonkers is the third largest city in New York after New York City and Buffalo and it is the setting of the 1991 Neil Simon play Lost in Yonkers. The city is just two miles north of the northernmost point of Manhattan, so very close to New York City. Other famous Yonkersians include Elijah Otis, founder of the Otis Elevator Company, Ella Fitzgerald, Mary J. Blige, Stephen Tyler, and DMX. While he was born in Yonkers, Pasqual was a Jersey boy, raised across the Hudson River in Harrington Park, Bergen County, New Jersey. 3,500 people lived in Harrington Park in 1960, up to close to 5,000 in the borough today. Other Harrington Parkers include U.S. Senator Cory Booker, former Mets GM Omar Minaya, and inventor of the perm Carl Nessler. Dan grew up a Yankees fan. His favorite player was Bobby Mercer. He was a star Little League pitcher, but in high school, made a name for himself as a hitter at Northern Valley Regional High School at Old Tappan. Another more recent alum of that school made an impact on the Yankees. On October 9th, 1996, Game 1 of the ALCS, Yankees fan 12-year-old Jeffrey Mayer Reached over the wall to catch a Derek Jeter, quote unquote, home run. That ball was still in the field of play. It bounced off of Mayer's glove and into the stands for a home run, tying the game. The Yankees win that game, win the series, end up winning the World Series. Jeffrey Mayer played baseball at Northern Valley, later played at Wesleyan, setting the university's hits record. He worked briefly in baseball, scouting the Cape Cod League, and was an intern for the Yes Network. Pasqua played... Football and baseball at Northern Valley, but he wasn't noticed by pro scouts out of high school, wasn't drafted, but was recruited by coach Jeff Albies to play at William Patterson University, a public university and D3 program about 30 minutes from his home in Wayne, New Jersey. In his sophomore season, he hit 412 with 11 home runs and was named second team D3 All-American. He followed that up with an even better junior year, setting school records that still stand with 20 home runs, 76 RBI, 72 runs scored, and he hit 411. He also stole 31 bases, so just a fantastic D3 hitter. He was first-team All-American that year, led William Patterson to the College World Series for the first time in school history. Some scouts started to notice his power and that career 383 average at William Patterson. His childhood team, the Yankees, picked Dan in the third round of the 1982 draft, which is pretty high for a D3 player. Also in that round, Jimmy Key, Roger McDowell, Zane Smith, Mike Greenwell, and a pretty decent move up the estimation of pro scouts for a guy who wasn't really highly regarded out of high school.
0: In rookie ball, he started at Paintsville and he destroyed rookie ball, hitting 301 with 16 homers and 63 RBIs in his 60 games. He was called up to A-ball to Replace another guy we've discussed before, some guy named John Elway. Elway had to go play his senior year at Stanford and chose a different career path than baseball. So, in the final four games of the year at Oneonta, Dan hit two home runs and started 1983 at Fort Lauderdale, hitting 273, 19 homers, 12 steals, and 80 walks. This earned him a bump up to Triple A for a short period of time. He only played in one game and went 0 for 3. 1984, he spent the year at A, and his average dropped a bit to 243, but he hit 33 home runs, struck out a lot, 148 strikeouts, but he had 95 walks. This is quite a sluggers line.
1: Yeah, he's a modern player. He's a fit right <laughs> in into 2022 baseball.
0: 1985 at Columbus, he was outstanding, hitting three twenty-one with 18 homers, five triples, slugging And That leads to the fun fact on the bottom of the card that Dan was selected International League Player of the Year in 1985. That's despite only playing 78 games, he had 18 home runs. The reason he only had 18 games is because he got called up to the majors.
1: His first game playing for the Bronx Bombers was May 30th, 1985, against the Angels, his first at-bat He lines into a double play, second at bat, hits a home run. He struggled over the summer, was sent back to AAA in August, but got recalled a couple weeks later. His last 10 games of the season, he went three for 21, which brought his average down to just 209 on the season. He had nine home runs, and that power and some walks got his OPS plus up to 95, so right around the league average OPS, despite that 209 batting average.
0: In 1986, the Yankees had high expectations for Dan. They rejected a trade for Andre Dawson because the Expos wanted Pasqua. That could have been monumental. And the Yankees passed on signing Kirk Gibson as a free agent That's that offseason. This is a sliding
1: doors player of epic proportions. Yeah, this could have changed the future of the Cubs, and the Los Angeles Dodgers for the next couple seasons if either of those players had moved to the Yankees. But instead, the Yankees were happy to keep Dan Pasqua around. They really thought that he was going to be the left fielder of the future. Because of that, Ken Griffey Sr. asked to be traded because he didn't want to play backup to young Dan Pasqua. In the offseason, Pasqua's mother passes away, and that really affected him. And he ended up missing some time, getting off to a slow start in the spring, He said that he just really needed regular playing time and it was all a matter of concentration, but that difficult spring led to him starting the year back at Columbus at AAA. He ends up hitting 291 through 32 games, getting back on track and earning a call-up. So he's back in the Bronx looking to fulfill all of that promise, and he ends up having a really great season in 1986, hitting 293 with 16 home runs in 102 games. That OPS plus was an outstanding 151 the sixth highest among players with 250 or more at-bats that season, sandwiched between future Yankee greats, Jesse Barfield, and Ken Phelps. Greats indeed.
0: He played the most games in left field of any Yankee, 71 games out of the season. And also in 1986, there was an odd incident.
1: I first learned of this as the, quote, Dan Pasqua story from the Deadspin video series, Let's Remember Some Guys. This video series is part of the reason why this podcast exists. It always delighted me. The hosts of the show, David Roth and Lauren Thyssen, would open packs of cards. David Roth would remember a guy and say what he remembered about the guy. When Dan Pasqua came up, initially there was the Dan Pasqua story, as David Roth was also a New Jersey native. There was a story that David Roth remembered about Dan Pasqua. And let's drop in some audio of David talking to former mayor of Cooperstown, Jeff Katz.
0: I assume you know the Dan Pasqua story. That's... My version is probably even shorter than yours, Mm. which is there was some dude who portrayed himself as Dan Pasqua. When Pasqua came up with the Yankees and yep. just got free Italian food in New Jersey. See, I also remembered it as
1: Italian food. It was, is he that? got a woman to buy him a Pontiac Fiero. <laughs> 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 very different. Here's The Dan Pasqua story, as initially told by David Roth, was that a fake Dan Pasqua was going around New Jersey, going to Italian restaurants, and saying he was Dan Pasqua to get free food, which is great. <laughs> but the real story is maybe even better and also very New jersey there's a guy named James Powers, who, according to reports, did bear a resemblance to Pasqua and had once been his schoolmate. The report from December 1986 was that this Lothario fake Dan Pasqua was accused of impersonating New York Yankees outfielder Dan Pasqua and taking $7,000 from a woman who believed that he was a ball player. He used that money, possibly to gamble in Vegas, but he told the woman that he needed the money to buy her a new Trans Am. <laughs> instead. Instead, this guy took it to Vegas. He ended up getting arrested. But while out on bail, he did it again. On New Year's Eve, 1987, he's arrested after he borrowed a thousand dollars from another woman. Her aunt heard about this, that she lent Dan Pasqua a thousand dollars and said, wait a minute, I've heard about that. So two weeks later, while he's out on bail, he scams another woman out of a thousand dollars. I don't know what's happened to this guy. But this James Powers, this is like the most New Jersey story I (laughs) could possibly imagine. Can you think of a better car for it to be than a Trans Am? No, that's it. That's it. 1987, cruising the Jersey Shore, listening to Bon Jovi after swindling your girlfriend out of $7,000. The real Dan Pasqua testified before a grand jury, presumably to say, I did not ask anyone for $7,000 for a Trans Am. Pasqua only made $70,000 in 1986, so that would have been a significant amount of money for the real Dan Pasqua, but maybe not for long because, as we see in the 1987 Sports Illustrated baseball preview, big things were coming for Dan Pasqua.
0: That's right. In the Yankees section, previewing the 1987 season, the fun fact they listed about Dan Pasqua compared him to Babe Ruth. He hits a home run every 12.9 at-bats at at home against right-handers, close to the Babes' career rate. They projected Dan Pasqua to be the home run champion and for the Yankees to go 92-70, and finishing third, one game behind Toronto and two games behind Cleveland. So
1: how did those predictions play out? We know how the Cleveland prediction played out. Not great. Cleveland did not finish in first place ahead of Toronto and the Yankees. Rather, the Detroit Tigers, who were projected to finish, I believe, under 500 by Sports Illustrated, ended up winning that division over the Toronto Blue Jays in that run to the playoffs at the end of the 87 season. The Yankees were competitive, leading the AL East as late as August. They ended up with 89 wins, close to that 92 that was predicted, but that was only good enough for fourth place in the AL East in 1987. As for Pasqua, through his first 60 games, he hit only 201 and was sent back to Columbus. He then hit 341 with six home runs in 23 games, earning a callback. And he's much better in the second half, hitting 269 with nine home runs from July 19th to the end of the season. That gave him a 233 average with 17 homers on the year. Didn't quite challenge Mark McGuire's 49 home runs. So not quite leading the league. Someone that was a third-round draft pick and has
0: so many lines on the card from being in the minors so many different times getting called up and down this is not a great look for the card this is far more lines on the card than you want for someone in his six years of playing professional baseball but those first three years in the majors if you stretched it out to a 162 game season he was averaging 25 homers 66 rbis 251 average and OPS plus of 116 unfortunately because of platoons and getting sent up and down he never really put together a 162 game season and maybe because of that Dan asked to be traded and the Yankees said yes they put their one-time outfielder of the future on the market and there was an offer from Oakland to trade him for Alfredo Griffin and that takes us to our second card which is card 82T But David, this is not, he's not wearing an Oakland A's jersey.
1: No, he's got the White Sox C, the generic shot. He looks like a random guy from New Jersey that someone might impersonate wandering into Italian restaurants or Pontiac dealerships. It's an all right looking card. He ends up getting traded to the White Sox. The White Sox were trying to dump salary as we discussed in the Richard Dotson episode. There is no this way to the clubhouse on this card though. So we had to look it up on baseball reference. At one point, the offer from the White Sox was Richard Dotson and Floyd Bannister, two of their top pitchers, for Pasqua and Mike Paglio rullo But the Yankees didn't want to give up both an outfielder and a third baseman, so the trade was limited to Pasqua. Pitcher Steve Rosenberg and backup catcher Mark Salas traded to the White Sox for Richard Dotson and Scott Nielsen. Scott Nielsen was once fined $100 by the White Sox for not wearing socks with his loafers. It's a fashion crime. That's going to get you traded.
0: I don't know. I think that could be perfectly fine depending on the weather. This trade is the sixth trade involving 31 different players in two years between these two teams. They really like to trade with each other. Ron Hassey was in three of those trades and Scott Nielsen was in two of them.
1: We will assuredly talk more about these two teams trading as there are 31 players sent between (laughs) them within the two years prior to these cards. Dotson and Pasqual were really the key parts of this trade. Dotson struggled in his time in New York with an ERA over five in 1988 and part of 1989. Pasqual, for his part, went to Chicago, was given a chance to play. He ends up playing the most games of any White Sox outfielder and was the only outfielder to play more than 100 games. The White Sox had a lot of injuries in 1988, including a season-ending injury to Yvonne Calderón, and that pushed Pasqual into covering right field. He played decent defense too not traditionally known for his glove. In 1988, he had a positive defensive war, which is pretty good for Dan Pascoe if you look at his later seasons. At the plate though, he
0: started slow, hitting around 220 through May with only four homers. June, he hit 339 with four homers just that month, so he was heating up a little bit. And on July 3rd, there was a very special story
1: that reaches the McKellas household. I might be the only person in my family who remembers this, but it is a core memory for me. That might explain why I do this podcast and no other member of my family decided to do a 1988 Tops podcast. (laughs) There was probably other reasons. We were at Comiskey Park for a family trip to the ballpark, July 3rd, day before Independence Day. The old Comiskey was just this giant old cathedral of baseball, painted white on the outside, kind of scummy by this point, ready to be knocked down. But the kind of place where my dad, who grew up going to games there, still knew a place that he could wander to and find foul baseballs. You'd reach over and reach into a, a gutter and you'd find a baseball that had bounced over and you know he would come back and, and bring baseballs that had been been in play. Kind of thing you can't really do anymore because everybody's chasing after foul balls. But at this old stadium, you know there's so much history there, old, kind of ugly, kind of smelly. The White Sox are well under five hundred. playing the Yankees. Ricky Henderson is leading off. Looking at the names on this sheet, as a kid, I would have been excited to see this Yankees team playing against my below average Chicago White Sox. The guy next to me smoking a giant cigar, and his voice probably sounds like mine does right now, smoking (laughs) this, this stogie and going, hey, Ricky, Ricky. Huge Yankees fan cheering for Ricky, <laughs> screaming at Ricky that throughout the game. Don Mattingly, Dave Winfield, all on this team. White Sox are up 2-0 in the eighth. Closer Bobby Thigpen comes in, ends up giving up a double to Ricky Henderson, driven in by Mattingly. Mattingly is then driven in by Winfield. All the stars are coming through for the Yankees. So as a defeatist baseball fan, I just assume White Sox have blown it. Tie game going into the 10th inning. The Yankees then score again to go up 3-2. to two. So little Dave is feeling very hopeless. But then Harold Baines leads off the bottom of the 10th with a walk. Dave Gallagher comes in to pinch run. Greg Walker flies out. And the next batter is Dan Pasqua. As an adult, the moment, as I recalled it, was Dan Pasqua hits the longest foul ball you have ever seen. And the entire crowd goes from jubilant to just silent. And it's a full count. And after that, you just know it's over he's going to hit into a double play. The very next pitch, he hits a home run 10 rows deep into the upper deck. The stadium goes crazy. Walk-off home run. Sweet home Chicago plays. And it's the greatest thing I've ever seen in a stadium. When I got older, I questioned my memory. And probably in my 30s, when Baseball Reference really started to get all of the data there, I searched to find it. And Baseball Reference is a magical place because it can confirm or deny yours or some random player's memory of a moment but the things i knew for sure was the ricky guy was sitting next to me and dan pasqua hit a home run dan pasqua had two walk-off home runs in his career that i was able to find through the home run tracker on baseball reference one was with the yankees so that one wasn't it and the other one was for the white Sox against the yankees when i go into that game it has the pitches 1988 is the first year that they have pitch by pitch data sure enough in the play-by-play A full count, pitch six, foul ball, pitch seven, ball in play. So thank you, Baseball Reference, for confirming that I did not make up this amazing childhood baseball memory. It confirmed to me that Dan Pasqua was the greatest home run hitter who ever existed. Yeah, and that's how
0: it turned out for the rest of 1988. Well, maybe just really ended there at, at July 3rd. He hit only 210 in July and only 161 in August. He ended the season with 20 home runs. So maybe not the greatest home run hitter ever, but that did lead the White Sox that year. He finished the season with a 227 average, mm-hmm. and he did lead American League outfielders in fielding percentage. 1989, Dan had wrist and knee injuries, which limited him to only 73 games. He hit 248, 11 home runs, which was decent for half a
1: season. And
0: one of the home runs went onto the rooftop at Comiskey, which is Ron Kittle territory.
1: Going into 1990, the last season at Comiskey park, Pasco played 112 games, puts up one of his best offensive seasons, hitting 274, which is a big step up from those two twenties that he was hitting earlier. He ends up hitting 13 home runs, drives in 58, and had a 136 OPS plus. Really respectable season for Dan Pasqua. And he put a mark on Old Comiskey Park in the final game at that stadium. He hit a sixth inning RBI triple. And who wants to hear some Hawk Harrelson? That's a content warning for some specific (laughs) listeners. Uh, Just feel free to hit that 30-second skip.
0: Score. Passball on his way to third. Sox lead at 2 to 1.
1: Yes! Danny Pasquale hit this ball so hard that
0: it still was picking up speed by the time it got to Griffey. Watch the swing by Passport? He nails it. Great job on 3 2.
1: This hit was scored as a triple, but Ken Griffey Sr. really misplayed this ball badly. I don't know if it bounced off of something in the outfield and over his head. Frank Thomas nearly falls down multiple times, but he ends up scoring, gives the White Sox a 2-1 lead, which would remain the final score in that game, the last RBI in the history of Old Comiskey Park. There's a baby in the stands. That baby is at least 32 years old now. I saw somewhere that Hawk Harrelson called Dan Pasqua the hammer and i did not remember this nickname he did wear number 44 so perhaps hawk was making an homage to henry aaron but not one of hawk's better hawkisms pasco was a good power hitter but not quite hammering henry aaron
0: 1991 dan started out slow no home runs through the first few weeks But April 27th against the Yankees, he hit two home runs at the new Comiskey, including
1: a 484-foot home run. I think that home run came close to hitting a giant Winston cigarettes ad in right field. I'm positive I was watching this game. I remember it maybe hitting the ad that was beyond the concourse. If it did so, that's more than a 500-foot home run. So it may have bounced and hit it. I couldn't find video of this to confirm or deny but again, Dan Pasqua, Herculean strength of Dan Pasqua, four hundred eighty-four feet is the the best guess. I think in the pre Statcast era, it was more just somebody saying like, yeah, yeah, that's uh that seats uh four hundred and seventy-five. It's probably nine feet beyond there. It's still one of the longest home runs hit in the park.
0: Pasqua played a career high 134 games that season and hit 18 home runs with a 129 OPS plus, career high 66 RBIs, and 62 walks. Really hitting his stride. Here he is, you know, just about 30 years old. But in October of 1991, he had a drug related incident. He received a package in the mail, and shortly thereafter, the cops came to his door. UPS in Chicago had damaged the package and in so discovered that it contained an ounce of marijuana. They contacted authorities in New Jersey, who then followed as the package was delivered. And this is a terrible crime, David.
1: Yeah, true crime stories. I saw somewhere in reading about Pascoe's career, it said that off-field incidents limited his career. And I'll ask listeners to correct me if I'm wrong, but I couldn't find any other off-field incidents But this arrest probably was a big deal at the time. He was charged with disorderly conduct. He said it was a terrible misunderstanding. Now in many states, this terrible misunderstanding is just called tax revenue. I don't know about transporting it through UPS, though. As an attorney, I would not advise that.
0: As Dan crossed the threshold into his 30s, though, time caught up with him. He had some hamstring and leg injuries that forced him to miss time. 1992 and 1993 seasons were pretty similar stat-wise. Batting average around 210, on base around 300, slugging around 350, and hitting five or six home runs each year in 1992 and 1993. In each of those seasons, though, there was a no-hitter going against the Sox Broken up in the eighth inning, both times by Dan Pasqua. A double against Todd Stottlemyre in 1992, and a triple off Danny Darwin in 1993. So that's that's huge in the stat book to break up a no-hitter.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, not enough extra base hits to continue that. Good run that Dan had going of double-digit home runs.
0: 1993, though, was a big year for the Sox because they made the playoffs. However, they lost to the Blue Jays in six games. Pasquale was shut down by Jays pitching. He went 0 for 6 with a walk and a hit by pitch. He also played at first base in place of Frank Thomas for the first two games. And fans weren't really happy about this.
1: He dropped a throw and, according to one report, butchered another. And then, as you said, he left five runners on base in those first two games. Bo Jackson publicly complained about this because Bo had also been on the bench He said the Sox were playing for two days a man short. Gene Lamont, manager of the White Sox, did not appreciate this criticism. But he had a difficult job because in addition to Bo Jackson, he also had former MVP George Bell. He had Steve Sachs, Bobby Thigpen, Carlton Fisk, and Dave Steve all on this team. All of them former All-Stars with really nothing to do for the team. There's a lot of discontent on this White Sox bench even more so when they're knocked out of the playoffs in six games. And people questioned Gene Lamont's managing at that point. So going out of that 1993 season, Pasquist looking to bounce back. He has a huge spring. He hits 389 in spring training, 20 RBIs. But then after 11 games, he has arthroscopic knee surgery and has to go down to Birmingham late in the season to rehab. And he, while there, briefly played with Michael Jordan the strike shuts down the season and after that Pasqua called it a career so
0: closing the book on Dan Pasqua 10 seasons and exactly 3,000 plate appearances he hit 244 with a 330 on base and 438 slugging and 117 home runs he's tied with Ty Cobb Tris Speaker and Ichiro on the career home run list And as of 2020, he was the only player with at least 40 home runs for the White Sox and the Yankees, which is something. A career OPS plus of 112. And in the love-to-face team edition, the Yankees, a career 349 average and OPS of 1.050 in 46 games. He hated to face the Tigers and the Rangers, batting 178 and 173 respectively
1: against those clubs. How about in retirement? Initially, he had a home-building company in the Chicagoland area, and he later became a White Sox ambassador and continues to serve as a professional instructor with the White Sox Academy, helping with Little League, travel leagues, and coaching. And he still shows up at White Sox games in interviews talking about his love for the Chicago White Sox. And even though he grew up a Yankees fan, there is a special place in his heart for the White Sox, and I think that he still remains a fan favorite for those of us in the 80s and 90s. So David, you got to use baseball reference to confirm
0: your memory of Dan Pasqua as an amazing hero in your childhood. But now
1: after looking at it a little bit more, what do you think? I thought it was pretty interesting that he, in his first season, played on the same team as John Elway, and in his last season, played on the same team as Michael Jordan. All-time greats, not necessarily on the baseball field, but a cool note nonetheless. Dan Pasqua had big swings. And sometimes they connected for big home runs. Sometimes they didn't connect at all, but that's the name of the game. And when you're a power hitter, you might strike out a bit. In 1992, Paul Ledusky wrote, Dan's average of one extra base hit per 7.6 at-bats ranked ahead of more celebrated Southpaw swingers Ken Griffey Jr., Kent Herbeck, Fred McGriff, and Dave Parker. From 1988 to 91, among players with 300 or more at-bats, he was a, a good player over that stretch. A 119 OPS plus is right behind Wally Joyner and Pedro Guerrero, just ahead of Kirk Gibson. Those are much bigger names than Dan Pasqua. Among lefties, he was 20th overall over that stretch. He hit 62 home runs. As a lefty, that's 13th from 88 to 91, just behind Dave Parker and Harold Baines. But he did it in 600 fewer at-bats. Big power, a good platoon hitter, a good lefty to have off the bench. He is in the William Patterson University Hall of Fame. He was listed in 2017 as one of the 50 greatest players from New Jersey. Maybe he didn't quite live up to the hype that led the Yankees to decline in Andre Dawson trade, but he became a fan favorite among White Sox fans in those kind of sad late 80s years just before Frank Thomas. Those years when the White Sox didn't really have a power threat. I was looking through, in 87, they had a couple guys hit over 20, but 88, 89, and 90? As sad as it sounds, Dan Pasqua's 2011 and 13 home runs qualified him to be called the hammer for the White Sox. He led the team with 20 home runs in 1988. The next season, Yvonne Calderon led the team with 14. In 1990, 18 was enough for a team lead. Pretty sad state of affairs for power hitters in Chicago. It got better in the 90s. But by that point, Dan Pasqua, injuries were catching up with him a little bit. I will always remember Dan Pasqua, both for that 1988 moment, for that huge home run that was the longest home run I'd ever seen at Comiskey Park. And it's just one of those names. The remember some Guys, Dan Pasqua story uh, delighted me. It's a fun career to see because he did end up hitting a
0: lot of home runs. He did, in many ways, live up to some of that hype. He had big home runs. He had some big seasons. And on a mediocre team, a couple years, he really
1: stood out. One note also about Dan Pasqua. There is a short video that's 89 seconds for 890, which is a local radio station here. And Dan Pasqua did a really good job of answering the New York versus Chicago style pizza question, which I think he basically said he likes both, but he said it in more words. And Dan Pasqua, you know, a New Jersey guy living in Chicago for a long time, you really you can't pick sides in that. You're gonna make some family unhappy. So I, I stand with Dan Pasqua. All pizza is good pizza. And all
0: Pasqua is good Pasqua. So thank you for, for this story. And thank you to you at home. If you've ever made up a story to try to get some free Mastacholi of a Pontiac Fiero, or a Trans Am, we'd love to hear all about it on Twitter. We're at tops 1988 Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.